Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Financial Podcast, Future Rich. My name is Barbara Ginty, and I'm your host, and I'm also a CFP, which stands for a Certified Financial Planner. And I am here today with my guest, Dawn, and that's your real name. Yes. And you have an Instagram account. Is it also a blog called Stealth Wealth? I have two different blogs. I have one blog that um, and Instagram account that's my personal blog, and it's called Practice Balance. Um, that's the Instagram handle, and the website is practicebalance.com. And then I also have a new blog that I've started that's a family blog, and it's called stealthwealthfamily.com, and Instagram handle is stealthwealthfamily. Great. So give us a little, or our listeners, a little background on you. You have a really interesting so I am a practicing anesthesiologist. I happen to work part time currently. Um, I'm about, let's see, eight years out of training now. And before anesthesiology, I have a background of being a chemical engineer. And I worked as an engineer for a couple of years, uh, then went back to grad, grad school in engineering, um, got a master's degree there, but then moved and ended up going to medical school. So I worked briefly as an engineer and um, then transitioned over to medicine. Wow, that's great. And you're, so we, so we give our listeners about how old are you, location, and then you're a child, right? Yeah, so I am 45. Um, you're a little bit older than um, a lot of uh, the people that you have on the show. It seems like from um, listening to some of your past episodes. I am married. I'm married. Um, he's also 45. Um, we've been married for 20 years, and we have a three-year-old um, child. So we waited to have kids for quite a while. And oh, by the way, I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, great. Well, I mean, I think that a lot of our listeners, because I just did an episode on the egg cryopreservation. So it is something that I think a lot of our listeners um, are considering waiting to have kids just because of the technology and medicine that's out there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pluses to waiting. Um, the pluses are that you are more financially stable and you also know a lot more about yourself and 
just um, you're more kind of confident in your choices. Uh, you're a little bit more established in your career and um, the things that you like to do, um, your likes and dislikes in general in life. But definitely, um, as with the egg cryopreservation, um, eggs don't really wait for you to to achieve those, <laughs> those goals. So um, your eggs are getting older. You can be super healthy, but your eggs can still um, mature, you know, as you age. So uh, definitely the freezing is a good option. Yeah, I'm really excited that it's such a, or it's, I don't know, it's just more prevalent now. Like I had never really heard about it when I was in my early 20s. So I wanted to have you on the show because you are living like a pre-retirement lifestyle. Does that accurately describe you? Yeah, I would say that we, you could consider us to be semi-retired. As you know, um, the financial independent retire move, or early movement, a lot of the people that call themselves FIRE, for, they aren't actually fully retired. It's not like they're playing golf and watching soap operas, which is an example of what people think of when they think of retired. But, um, you know, a lot of them have maybe cut back in their primary field, maybe they have a small side business, something like that. Uh, that's pretty much where we are now. So both my husband and I work very, very part-time in our careers. And it's unusual just because we happen to have careers where people tend to work a lot of hours. So I'm a physician and he is an attorney. Right. As a doctor and a lawyer, you tend to, the impression is that you're working nonstop. Yeah. And I mean, there are years that I like that for everyone, um, especially in the very part of training for, you know, a professional uh, path like that. But we passed through that and we made a lot of really good choices with our money. And so financially independent, we're able to cut back and work these nice schedules now and kind of pick and choose and work for the meaning of the work and not just for making the money. So I know that when you said that every single one of our listeners is like, okay, how do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> what do I need to do so that I can work for the enjoyment of it and not work for the paycheck? Yeah. Well, I do think that it takes some time, first of all. Um, you can have that goal in mind, but can't necessarily be in a hurry. It's a marathon and not a sprint. But you have to make I, – I don't think that people can really replicate the situation that both my husband have now because – we went to college, our, our original undergraduate, in the 90s, and school is just more expensive nowadays. I know everything has changed, so wages are increased and such too, but we got really, um, I'd say really in the time that we did our undergrad because we had a lot of scholarship. We had basically no student debt from those years. Um, we kept our debt really low. And sometimes people, I see people who go to medical school or in residency and they not only have debt from their medical school, but they have debt from their undergrad because maybe they chose to go to a private school or, um, you know, they didn't have money saved or they didn't have a scholarship to do their undergrad. So they're already like majorly underwater. And that was one thing that we did was um, we really kept our debt burden and we took our in-state schools. We went to schools where we had scholarships we had when we were in, in undergrad. So these were just, you know, separate paths that both of us took. Then when we got together, we were, you know, we, we didn't really have like huge amounts of debt or a person had to pay off a bunch of debt for somebody else or something like that. And then I would imagine you had a really savings ratio and then you continued to stay away from debt because debt is a slippery. Yeah. So the, I think the other big, so as, 
those are kind of the original choices. But then as we moved along in our lives, um, now that we've, you know, been adults for some time here, we kept our living. I, I wouldn't say it's flat, but it, it is a pretty low upslope. We just always lived simply. And I think part of it is being exposed to some um, different kinds of lifestyles early on in early adulthood. So for instance, we both got really into rock climbing when we were in our 20s. And so we traveled for rock climbing and we met a bunch of different rock climbers, people who were living super simply on very little amounts of money, but were very happy. And I think those were models for us, seeing people being happy with um, you know, just not a lot of stuff. And even though we were in these kind of high achieving careers, we still kind of kept that on the back burner in our minds, I believe. As we became physicians, it wasn't like we moved into some huge mansion. We didn't start buying Mercedes. I was just going to say, I think a big mistake that a lot of people make, especially when you have a prestigious job like that, where you're a doctor, an attorney, or any one of those professions that people associate making a lot of money and a certain lifestyle with that job. I think that most people, as they make more money, at least what I see, is they increase their lifestyle. Yes. And there is some lifestyle inflation inevitable, especially when you have a child, you're going to have some more expenses and things like that. But um, as your life gets a little more complicated with, with time, you might outsource things, but we definitely kept our tastes the same as far as we don't buy really fancy clothing. We don't buy fancy cars. We never upgraded our house to the point where it was so big that we have to pay a bunch of people to maintain it and that kind of thing. Um, so definitely, I think that that has been our key to um, being able to set up our work-life balance the way that it is now. Now, was it, is it something that you and your husband sat down and said, you know, our goal is to do this like semi-type retirement where you're working for the enjoyment and not having to work? Did you have like, did you have a set number that you, you wanted to have saved in order to do that or? Not really. We actually, I would say in retrospect said, oh, hey, we're financially independent. When people started talking about it in the blogosphere, um, my husband has been pretty self-knowledgeable for a while and knew that this is what he wanted. He knew that he never wanted to work the crazy attorney hours. And he became an attorney before I went to medical mm -hmm. school. Um, oh, that was something else too that I think was good. If you're in a couple, it was nice to be able to take turns with that professional school because it offset a little bit of those costs. Because then by the time that he got a job, he was able to to partially fund my my schooling so I didn't have to take out huge loans as opposed to both of us like going to professional school at the same time. At the same time. That makes sense. It's maybe a lot of people meet their spouse while they're in professional school and they may even be in the same <laughs> profession. But, really? but anyway, um, he knew that was the kind of lifestyle he wanted and that he wanted to be self-employed. I wasn't really on board with it, to be honest, for a long time. Yes, and I was quite the spender. I definitely liked my clothes. I definitely um, brought was brought up in a family of spenders and people that really pretty much kind of saved the minimum and um, were in that mentality and the lifestyle inflation type situation. But as I matured and as I traveled more and um, as I kind of embarked on self-knowledge projects for myself, I realized that I wanted the same thing. And it really hit me hard when I had my baby. So just a few years ago was right on the time that we we realized that we were financially independent, but also I had this child and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, I actually don't want to 
constantly work to make more money and get better and bigger stuff because now all I really want to do is just be with her. Right. I want to be able to spend time as a parent. Yes. So, so for my listeners, um, and if you're not comfortable saying it, it's no big deal, but how do you know when you're financially independent? Like what was it that, was it your house was paid off? You had enough money saved for retirement or was it that you had a part-time work covered all of your expenses? Yeah. So what we did was we, people started talking about the whole Trinity study 4% rule. Yeah. I use that all the time. You can pull 4% from your portfolio and then you won't outlive your money. Right. So you need to have, um, which also translates to, you should have your net worth be at least 25 times your annual expenses that you need to live and that you're spending every year. Oh, I hadn't heard that one. So that, that one says that you need 25 times, your net worth needs to be 25 times. It's like basically, it's the reverse of the 4% rule. It's just like if you reverse it, that's, that's how it works. And so what we did was we looked at our net worth, which at the time was less, but now um, our net worth is probably about like $3 million right now. And that is counting homes um, and cash and, you know, funds that are invested. Um, and then we looked at and our... That's, you said total, I'm sorry. Sorry, you said it's a total of $3 million? Three and a half. Yeah, about three and a half right now. Three and, mm-hmm. and we looked at how much we spend annually changes as it should. You know, not everyone is rigid and uh, most people aren't rigid and spend the exact same amount every year, but... And some some come up one year and that don't come up the next year. Right, exactly. Um, And on the flip side, we don't always make the same amount of money every year, Uh, especially my husband who's self-employed and has his own business. One year he can make a lot more than another year. And so some of his gross income is really variable because of reimbursable expenses related to his business. Or um, mm-hmm. um, I'm actually currently a W-2 employee, so my money's a little more predictable as far as how much I make. But, but anyway, so, uh, okay. so when we start seeing those, you know, 4% rules, we realized that we definitely had enough in our net worth somewhere between fifty and 100000 a year on everybody in, in our family. Okay. Like that's what our expenses are, a variable and um, we don't track it super hard. Some people do where they have programs that track their monthly expenses up to the penny. We don't really do that. But we're somewhere in there. Yeah, and it, it obviously changes, especially when you have a young child. But so you cover your monthly you cover your monthly and you know, expenses with your income from your jobs or Yes, we do right now. For the most yes. But we're both still working enough that we can do that. Um, someday we may be cutting back even more, and then we would be drawing down from our um, investments. The other big thing is that we don't have any zero debt. So we have no loans, no mortgage, um, car loans, nothing like that right now. We're just completely debt-free. That's really just such a, I mean, I, having obviously met with so many people, I think that having no debt really opens you up to so many different opportunities. Yeah, and it really um, adds another level of security, I would say, um, mm-hmm. in this whole being able to work the kind of hours you want and finding meaning in your work with the amount of volume of work that you want to do. Um, and it also, the other thing about debt, you know, we could we could have just left our mortgage and had a mortgage, or we could buy more real estate and, and have these debts hanging over us, but we personally don't like that. It takes up mental bandwidth. And we really like to keep our plans really simple. Um, so we don't have a lot of, you know, um, see portfolios or things that um, are going on where we 
have to manage them actively. And, and that's just the way we like it. We like things simple. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. It's pretty incredible. Um, and then so far, our listeners, those are the 4% rule. So if you have a $3.5 million net worth, then the way it works is you could pull 140000 from that and not every year. And you can live on that indefinitely is the idea behind the 4% rule. Yep, exactly. You're financially independent because you could both quit your job and say, we're not working anymore. And if your budget's 50 to 100, your three and a half million net worth more than covers that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's fantastic. I feel like it just must be from a mental standpoint, was such a nice space to be in, to be like, I'm going to work because I want to. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I feel like it, it, there are a lot of people talking about burnout in medicine right now. Well, didn't they just make it like um, a, a true diagnosis? Is that Yes, <laughs> it is. It's part of the, um, the like coding diagnosis for um, psychiatric illnesses and for um, medical, yeah, medical coding. Um, and in um, lawyer work, it's, you know, burnout is high as well. But I feel like that this is a way to stay off burnout for these professions is to actually find meaning in the work and do it on your own terms um, for the number of hours that you like. Not everybody wants to work as little as we work. We really just like having downtime and, and we like having projects for ourselves. Um, I like working on my own personal fitness and doing these blogs. I don't make money off of my blog really. I um, in the future may turn something into a business. I have had a few different speaking engagements for one of my um, blog, uh, you know, based on the, the contents from there. But it, it's just nice to be able to have personal hobbies and feel like you have the time and the mental space to work on them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting because as a CFP, we're trained to help people. One of the whole sections of the, the the training that we receive is to help people work towards retirement. Like retirement planning is a whole section. And this is really interesting to me. Um, it kind of more aligns with what I'm going for in my own life as well. But it's not targeting retirement. It's targeting uh, financial independence so that you can live the lifestyle you want sooner rather than having to wait till 65 or 70. But, you know, the traditional model of, save 10%, work 40 years, retire, and then travel, you know. Absolutely. And that is definitely the kind of the standard way of doing things. And we don't want to have anything to do with that. We want to be able to be healthy enough and fit enough, you know, to travel and have the means to be able to travel and do kind of things outside of work when we were young and when we were healthy. And the other thing is the wrinkle with this is that I have had a cancer diagnosis. And once you have something that happened to you, it makes the health scare. It really brings to light more how fleeting life is and how short life can be. Any second, you know, you can save for your, your retirement and doing that kind of standard of save the 10% and, and thinking, oh, when I'm 65, I'll go and I'll do those travels. But you may not, you may not care. How old were you when, when you had the cancer diagnosis? Yeah, so I was actually in the um, and training uh, to finish my anesthesiology uh, training. And I was about, let's see, 30, I think I might have been 36 or 37. So it wasn't that long ago, still fresh in mind, and started actually with a fertility workup and me wanting to lose my eggs like you did. So I uh, went in and I said, I think I want to have a kid someday, but I don't have a period. <laughs> and I thought that it was just talking it up to having stress and residency. Then it turned out a long, battle sick 
biopsy that I had a brain tumor. And it had to come out with surgery, and it was a benign tumor, so that was good because there are a lot of brain tumors that are really bad that are basically game over. But um, this was the kind that could be removed, and uh, it did impact my fertility, and I did have to do in vitro fertilization again. But um, it definitely was something that woke me up to the fact that life's short and that I don't want to just work my life away, especially in these years right now. Um, my health is best it can be. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think getting something like that where I, I think it really kind of shakes you awake and says, oh, wait, you know, every day is a new day and you don't know what tomorrow holds. And to get some sort of cancer scare really can change your whole outlook on everything. Yeah, absolutely. But I think when you're young, you don't really think about these things. And as you get a little older, you're going along, um, you realize that life happens and that it's happened. It's not just you. It can be a, a close loved one, but um, any of those things can be wake calls that can make you want to take care of your finances and learn about your likes and dislikes in yourself. A lot of people just go along and they, they don't really even know themselves. They really know um, what they want in life, what their goals are, what their principles are, and their um, values. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think this is this is a very, I mean, I think the listeners will really enjoy this. And I've been interested in the, the fire, right? I guess the fi- fire is the right, I think, description for it. Because I think that the traditional model works for some people. And there's some people that, because I think the diff, the biggest difference here that I see is that you have to be willing to live more simply and make shorter and make sacrifices more in the short term. So if you're going to try and achieve this, you have to be willing to probably live in a smaller apartment or live in a smaller house and spend less money so that you can save more so that you can get to these numbers. Yeah, I think that a lot of it really has to do with some introspection and realizing what things you really place value on and then putting your money toward those things. You don't have to be super cheap and it, it kind of depends on your income a little bit. I mean, I, I think it's difficult for people who say, for instance, work on a teacher's salary to achieve fly quickly or um, financial independence, but everyone can stand to do some introspection and realize what things that they really want to put their money on, uh, what things really matter to them the most and what things that they can cut back on that really just don't matter to them as much. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think a big thing that I notice is a lot of people in their budget, there are areas where they're spending money that they didn't realize there was money going towards, or they didn't realize there was as much money going towards there. And so many people spend the entire amount that they make. Like, so whatever comes into the bank account, that's what they spend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a really good example of that. Um, My sister's a little bit younger than me. She's not that much younger, so she's still in her 40s. But they have two children, and just yesterday she texted me and said, they also, by the way, live pretty much right at their means, and I would say they even live above their means, and they're somewhat subsidized by my parents, which I think my parents do a real disservice to them. Um, we never ask for handouts from them, but um, they basically give my my sister and her family handouts quite a bit, and I don't think she's going to be listening to this, so I'm just going to go ahead and talk about this. Um, so she... Um, she texted me and said, oh, you know, her one daughter uh, auditioned and got um, got a part in this uh, kind of like a, a, a children's choir. And she's so excited and all this stuff. So then the next day I get a text and it says, um, oh, I didn't realize how much this was going to cost. And then she said, it costs $1,500 a year 
to be part of this choir group. And that does not include forms or travel or expenses related to like going to these recitals and things. I just sat there thinking like, okay, I do not know how to respond to this, but I think it's really sad if you are worried about, you know, like two or $3,000 in a year that is really for something that's super beneficial, that really matters to your child and your family and is aligned with your values. That's the kind of stuff you should be taking, you know, putting your, um, your priorities on. And she's like worried about that. Whereas it could be cutting back in other areas. Right. Cause that would be $50 a week or 200 a month. Right. Right. It's not really that bad if you think about it, but um, yeah. So, you know, maybe just don't go to the bar every week or, I mean, I'm just giving an example, but um, it depends on what you care about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've seen not so much um, people with the, I think the financial independence at a younger age where you can, you know, work kind of part-time or at your leisure isn't something, I think it's becoming more popular, right? I don't think it historically was something that we saw a lot. And so that's why, especially with the CFP, they don't really talk very much about that in our training. Um, But we have had a lot of people that have successfully retired millionaires who you wouldn't think, like working in a bakery or working a blue collar job, which it was all because of the choices they made about their budget of what was important and what wasn't important. And financial security was a top priority for a lot of those people. So they made different choices. Absolutely. One of the books that we read when, um, a long time ago, both my husband and I met person and said, hey, read this. And probably the first time I looked at it, I was like, eh. But then I looked at it later and really realized that it was gold. And it's called The Millionaire Next Door. Um, and it's they have a... a kind of a new version that they've put out um, recently that's updated, but it's from the mid nineties. I think it was maybe 1996, 97, but it's such a good book about that, which is basically like um, a lot of people that quote millionaires really just live kind of a simple and assuming life and, and, and don't kind of succumb to that lifestyle inflation. Um, it's really hard in our professions, doctor and lawyer, because it, Going for training is very self-sacrificing, and it's um, it it is abusive at sometimes, and people get very tired of um, beat down and working so hard, and then when they're finished and they're making that big salary, they really just want to treat themselves and reward themselves, and um, just have that kind of that delayed gratification come to light. So, yeah reward for the for the sacrifice and the work that they put in which makes total total sense but i agree with you it just is that what is your ultimate priority or are you looking to you know pay off the student loan debt and and get to a more comfortable financial situation yeah the millionaire next door is an interesting book and i'm working in the industry it is interesting so when i train and what i say when i hire new people who have not in our office who have not worked in a financial advisor office is what i say is you know, most of our clients, all that a lot of our clients are millionaires. So I would say to them, but you're not, you're not going to expect it when they walk in. So all of our millionaires walk in and they're the most unassuming. You would never, you would never, ever think that they have millions of dollars. And then I've learned, which is, I think, kind of the concept of the millionaire next door book, but the people that come in that pull up in the Mercedes and decked out in the super fancy clothes tend to not have any money. <laughs> not always, but... Yeah, usually it's a lease car and, you know, spending all of their money, you know, not paycheck to paycheck, but not having a lot of wiggle room in their budget because they, you know, maxed it out on the mortgage or the car payments or, you know, dinners out or what have you. So, yeah, it is really interesting. And so 
I think with our with our listeners is that you never know what someone's situation is. You know, just because they appear to have money doesn't mean that they do. Usually the opposite. It's the people that are unassuming are the ones that are usually more more practical and have done a better job financially. Yeah, absolutely. And I do see people that have happy things. I think, well, you know, hopefully they're being responsible, but they're probably not. And they can just keep doing what they're doing, but I'm not going to, you know, feel jealous of their nice stuff. Yeah, it's because it's all about what's important to you. So what advice would you have for our listeners if this is something they're striving to do since you've achieved it? Embark on self-knowledge experiments. And what I mean by that is learn about yourself in lots of ways. So you can read books about self-knowledge and about personalities and um, kind of uh, habit formation, things such like uh, the Gretchen Rubin Four Tendencies book. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it talks about um, the kind of tendencies that different people fall in for how they how they experience expectations from one and also external expectations from other people. So things like that can be really useful in learning about yourself. I really still feel like that a lot of people put their on and are going through life and they're trying to get through their school, they're trying to get through their days and uh, their lives are you know complex enough that they're not really paying attention to themselves. So learn about your values, what you really care about the most in life. What do you see your life like future? Do you want to keep working? Do you want to keep doing the job that you're doing or um, you know, in the way that you're doing it? Or do you want something different? And then envisioning what that is. So that's something important. And then you can form your habits based on that um, and save basically as much as you can out of your um, out of your salary uh, in the tax deferred accounts that are offered to you. If you had, um, if you're not self-employed, usually there are some kind of a benefit to even putting in. Um, but I would say put in as much as you can. Don't just. You know, I made that mistake when I was in my 20s when I was working as an engineer and I was making pretty good money, but you know, for the time, but I just did the minimum. I was not thinking about the future at all. And I had so much more because if you think about how much is compounded when you're 22 to like now, I would have just hundreds of thousands of dollars if I had just saved more each month um, during that time. Um, and just, I think it is just learning a little bit more about, um, the, the non-negotiables for you versus what you can slack on. What what do you need to really, do you need to live in a certain neighborhood? Do you le- need to live in this high cost of living city or air? Is it something you really care about? Well, if it is, that's fine. Then where else can you cut back? Um, do you need to, to drive a super fancy car? Maybe you do for work, but probably you don't. You know, those are different things to just think about and, and be have your eyes open. Um, other things, I think um, you can learn more about yourself by doing different experiences that are uncomfortable. So for instance, traveling, and I don't mean going on a vacation on a cruise, but like slow travel, living in a different country, living in some place unusual where you don't know anyone and trying to support and, and meet people um, or assume a lifestyle that's different for you. I'm doing hard things physically or mentally, but like take up a new sport, take up a new activity, um, something that you're really bad at. Those kind of things actually help you learn about yourself and they help you learn about your values and figure out your the um, hats that you need to achieve your goals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is inc- this was incredibly helpful. Thank you. So, thank you so much. I think our listeners are going to absolutely love this one. This is really just such an interesting take. And I think that so many people can kind of aspire to do this. I mean, it's definitely something that I think is really interesting even being in the industry and helping so many people work towards your traditional retirement, I really like this idea way better. 
<laughs> Great. <laughs> well, if anyone wants to ask me anything, they're welcome to contact me either on Instagram, direct message um, on my account, Stealth Wealth Family, or Practice Balance. Either one is fine. And then also on my blogs, you can uh, contact me through there too if you want to ask me specific questions. Perfect. So what we'll do is we'll link um, on when we put this up. Uh, this episode, I'll go link to all of the link to your socials so that people can reach out to you. Um, and then, so I'll wrap it up for our listeners. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you, well, we would love if you would rate us and review us on iTunes. Um, and you can also follow us on Instagram at financial.com. And if you want to learn more about um, personal finance, you can check out our class with Studio Ulster at www.planancial.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.